0: You're listening to Big Table, a podcast about books and conversation presented by Hat and Beard Press, Dub Lab, and Gold Diggers in Los Angeles. I'm your host, JC Gable. For each episode, we speak to one author about a singular book in a long form interview. Each interview is then followed by a brief reading, sometimes from the same book being discussed, sometimes by a like minded title and a different author but every episode does retain a loose theme throughout and is inspired by the work of radio host and oral historian, Studs Terkel. Thanks for listening. The myth versus the man or woman has always been a complicated paradox or a mass of contradictions, especially when it comes to artists and musicians. Vincent van Gogh is the poster boy for this type of myth versus the man conundrum. Thankfully, we have van Gogh's letters to his brother published soon after his death to hear him in his own voice. One thing we learned from reading his letters is how much of a bookworm he was and how novels and stories, in particular Charles Dickens, William Shakespeare, Maupassant, George Eliot, and Harry Peter Stowe shaped his life and artwork. Italian art historian and author, Mariella Guzzoni, has found an innovative narrative arc to revisit Van Gogh's life and times through the books that influenced him. In Vincent's books, Vincent Van Gogh and the Writers Who Inspired Him, published by the University of Chicago Press, Guzzoni writes about Van Gogh's voracious reading habits and how his love of reading inspired his prodigious output over his short but productive life. If one looks, books and references to literature litter dozens of his paintings. Guzzoni's masterfully written and accessible study highlights over a hundred works of art produced in a beautifully illustrated book. Guzzoni and I caught up before the end of 2020 by phone from her home in Bergamo in Northern Italy. Here's Mariella Guzzoni. You have sort of tracked Vincent van Gogh's life through his library and the books that influenced him, but more than most writers or sorry, most artists, um, you know, he's because of maybe his early death. He's been immortalized in so many myths that it's very hard to tell the mythology from the truth. And I think I learned more about Van Gogh in reading your book than virtually anything else I've ever read about him. And there, and what I also realized was how much stuff is contrary to the myth. And I thought that might be a good place to to, to lead in.
1: Yes, yes, perfect. Uh, You're really right. I mean, people always imagine Vincent as a passionate, impulsive, crazy character who cut off his ear. I mean, an artist who painted in a spontaneous way. I mean, the myth of the troubled artistic genius is really hard to get rid of. Well, maybe people prefer myths. I don't know. Anyway, Vincent's books uh, tells a very different story. Um, You know, uh, there's few artists whose life is so intertwined with their work. In this case, his dramatic life has often obscured the richness of his work and, you know, the complexity of his work and, of course, uh, his passion for books. So uh, if we read his letters, uh, we have more than 900 uh, we get a total new picture and we find out that uh, in his life he read hundreds of books by more than 200 different authors and that he was a very serious painter actually who worked uh, in a precise uh, methodology and that he was not of course the spontaneous artist that the myth has cemented. You know what, Uh, there's a beautiful sentence uh, he wrote in 1882, from The Hague, he says uh, books, reality and art are the same kind of thing for me, and okay, I found this sentence beautiful, and what does that mean, that his reading, his life and his painting are inseparable, an inseparable whole. So you know, uh, yes, in my research, I've tried to um, basically to give life and meaning to this phrase uh, because I find I find it a beautiful phrase and to unearth a crucial aspect of Vincent's personality uh, living behind all myths. So I want to say. Um, The association art madness, which is so rooted, should be thrown away once and for all. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, so it's really time to to leave behind old myths.
0: The other takeaway from your book was I immediately went and bought the book of letters, which I realized is such a treasure trove into his mindset because... um, he wrote so prolifically, to, mostly to his brother. Um, did, you, did you notice this thread amongst uh, Van Gogh's life with reading, and that just uh, became, you know, the angle? Uh, you know, what made you choose to write a book on this subject?
1: Oh, yes, uh, this is a great question. I mean, uh, it, it was really a long path of this, but I mean, what is striking, was striking in my research that I, I find out that uh, reading was uh, the common thread in his life. It was kind of, uh, of, of a fil rouge with different scopes, of course, according to the different careers that he attempted, you know, art dealer, uh, preacher or painter, but always with this need to read, to learn. Just think that uh, when he was 20, he worked in London at the Art Gallery of Kupil & Co. And he suggested some books to his brother Theo. Theo was uh, at the time 16 and worked at the Kupil in Brussels. And uh, what uh, are his reading recommendations? Oh, well, uh, from the Gazette de Bazaar, uh, which was the leading European art magazine at the time to Jules Michelet or George Eliot, not to mention the romantic and post-romantic English, French, and German poets that he read in their original languages. And you you know what? He copied little passages of this for uh, little anthologies for Theo. And yes, what I I would like to add is is, this. Uh, A lot is said about Vincent's incredible artistic evolution, you know. Over a period of just 10 years, everyone says, oh, wow. But, uh, you know, uh, from 27 to uh, 37. But in my uh, view, there is no doubt that his lifelong passion for books... uh, as part of the energy and of the creative tension that flows uh, through his art, I could say even a unifying element. And uh, yes, I have in my study I've tried to visualize for the first time this important theme in his life. You know. It, it makes a certain impression altogether. So, in uh, no starry night, no sunflowers in my book, but still lives with books, or Parisian novels, or women reading. I mean, uh, these are the works that are under my lens, because they're so fascinating, so underexplored, that, I, I mean, it, it's a, you, you, you discover a new concept, in, in, uh, from this p-
0: perspective what I found very fascinating about his reading habits as you alluded to was that he was reading a lot of these books in different languages now did he teach himself uh, to read in French and other languages obviously he's, he's a, a D- of Dutch ori- origin um, but with the other languages like for instance was he reading Dickens in English and Maupassant uh, in French
1: Yes, he read uh, all uh, the authors in their original language. Uh, of course, uh, he was uh, taught some French uh, at school and uh, at home. And uh, when uh, he was uh, 16, uh, he worked uh, at the Coupil the Art Gallery and he had uh, the opportunity to see many books. And when he went uh, to work in London, uh, he was uh, nearly 20. He, of course, uh, um, had uh, studied a bit of English. That was a uh, full immersion. I mean, the, he was uh, very, very good at languages. Mm, but what is striking is uh, that uh, Vincent was a radical as a reader. Uh, he, he took things to, to extremes. I mean, uh, when an author got under his skin, he read everything of theirs that, that he could find. Uh, we have a, a nice letter uh, to his painter friend Van Rappar and he says, uh, don't you agree that uh, one doesn't know writers like Dickens, Balzac, Hugo, and Zola until one has more or less uh, full knowledge of the work? I mean, you know, uh, these four authors were without doubt among his favorite ones. And uh, he wrote this letter in 1883, and he had already le- read all Dickens, all Balzac, and Hugo, and everything by Emile Zola. So, hundreds of novels and books. And yes, in these four authors, what is interesting is to think about the common themes. There are common themes in these four authors, uh, he mentions in this letter. Uh, for instance uh, the sympathy for the poor the deprived uh, yes of course the moral importance of literature and uh, the value of humanity and much more uh, i mean uh, you know when he paints uh, the poor and the money uh, which is a beautiful watercolor large watercolor mass of people trying the luck at the dutch state lottery or when he draws uh, uh, the soup distribution in a public soup kitchen, but also the potato eaters, what does he have in mind? Well, uh, he has in mind these authors. Uh, and More than a, an influence, uh, uh, these authors, uh, I would say that for Vincent is the conversation. It's an ongoing dialogue. What we must bear in mind is that uh, he always remained an artist-reader who dialogued with the, the artist-writer. And uh, in a way, he was inspired, but he was also very much encouraged about this uh, internal dialogue. And uh, yes, there is uh, something very nice that he says continually. And he says that uh, painting and uh, And the writing are close cousins because he says uh, uh, Zola and Balzac as painters of society or Zola painted beautiful townscapes. Uh, things like that. I mean, really, there's no difference. Uh, only the tool in hand changes. So this is really, uh, what is really fascinating in, in him is that uh, uh, there are no real influences, but it, there is this internal dialogue that goes on this, uh, all, always, I mean, uh, the, as a painter especially.
0: You mentioned a minute ago, uh, those four authors, and I, all I keep thinking about is how prolific those four authors were, um, and and how uh, how many door stoppers that they wrote. So between Vincent's painting, which again, until I read your book, I, I kind of hadn't f- remembered that how how close of a time all of this was going on, and you know, uh, most of the work was produced within a decade or so. Uh, a lot of the reading that you alluded to uh was was presumably happening at the same time as as it lines up with the letters um did did Vincent ever sleep i mean it sounds like he was uh almost like almost like a <laughs> monk uh the way that he he produced work and um
1: yeah. and and
0: and i you know it's hard to imagine how one would find time to do all this stuff
1: yes you're right uh, also i mean it's it's incredible it's a uh, it's it's a right question did he sleep but uh, i'm sure that he was reading um, every day and uh, he was mm, painting every day and he was drawing every day and he was writing letters every day i like to call this uh, a van gogh system uh, he's uh, is always connected with with everything i mean all this was inseparable he he was and in solitude and he really used his time as the best he could.
0: What were the biggest challenges that you had to overcome in your research to identify all these books? Cause I think at some point you mentioned that Vincent would sort of absorb these books and then sort of leave them wherever he was staying and, you know, wasn't sort of a, a collector by, by any means.
1: Oh yes. Uh, thank you for this question. That's a great question. I mean, yes, uh, He was not a collector of books because he left them behind. What was important for him was to memorize them and to have them very, very well impressed in in his mind. So in many cases, we don't know which editions were in, in his hands. Also, the visual aspects really fascinates me it's an element of of my research that was very exciting. In fact, I was hunting for the illustrations of the time in the various editions. Vincent uh, was very attentive to the work of the English and the French illustrators. And uh, then when I found some visual source of inspiration, uh, like, uh, for example... Moussicada, which is uh, uh, really an illustration which is so small, it's like a postage postage stamp. And uh, this illustration is in Pierre Lottie, Madame Chrysanthème. you know, the novel that inspired Puccini's Madame a Butterfly. So the covers of the books of that period were quite delicate. They were not like today's idea of an old book, you know. Uh, with just a thick piece of cardboard. They were really just a piece of paper, a little heavier than the pages inside, but not not much more. So, uh, I mean, very few of those survive today. So, okay, with this uh, in mind, uh, I was hunting for these original covers to add to my collection and try and then to uh, connect this uh, with the paintings of Vincent, they show a book cover that I could not identify. I just want to make an example so that you have an idea. In, in the case of Still Life with statuette and the Rose, uh, which is a Parisian painting of late 87, uh, what do we see? Uh, at the center of the composition, we see just two books, uh, with uh, wonderful readable titles. One is Bellamy by Guimet de Maupassant. He considered it a masterpiece. And uh, Bellamy has a blue cover. And the other one is Gemini La Sorteux by the Concours Brothers. Uh, which has a yellow cover. Well, having those two um, beautiful covers uh, uh, at the center, uh, it's it's quite a, a portrait of the new epoch. I mean, this uh, this kind of detective work I I, I I was doing was a long but very exciting process, and um, it was quite rewarding because when you, I mean, maybe these are little things, but they are, they are significant in my view, to understand what is behind Vincent's ideas.
0: No, I completely agree. I, I, I think the other thing your book did that I, I guess was maybe unintentional or maybe it was intentional in your, your case, but I went and read some of these books that I'd heard of because they're classics of the 19th century, uh, but I've never read them. For instance, Bellamy. Um, yes. One of the nice takeaways from your book is the wormhole... Uh, that one can go down, reading some of Vincent's favorite books and sort of revisiting them uh, after knowing how how inspirational they were to him.
1: Yes, yes, they really uh, they were inspiring for him. Uh, really, as uh, intellectually, mm, you know, Vincent knew very well of the political and cultural potential uh, of li- of literary art. And uh, yes, in his life, he, he even wrote several times that he would have loved to have his drawings and lithographs in the homes of, of the working class people. Well, uh, uh, what I think uh, uh, this is, can be a manifesto of his credo in art, uh, of the role of the artist, of the duty of the artist, you know. I mean, both Dickens and Bicestaux speak to the common people the literary art is accessible to everyone. Uh, You know, if you think about it, uh, the spectator does not need a special education to appreciate Vincent's art. When you're in front of it, uh, oh, it's so strong. And this is why he's so universal, like deacons, like Richard Stowe. I mean, this is really important.
0: Do you think Vincent ever thought in his lifetime that he would be so revered Later on, and to be almost on the same level with his own, you know, writerly heroes like Dickens and Zola and Balzac, etc.
1: He was aware that he was going much beyond his, uh, many of his contemporaries. He wrote sometimes that he wanted to um, to paint por- portraits for the people of uh, of the 20th century, so yes, he he knew that his art would last, but uh, yes, what you're saying is too much.
0: You and I had joked about this uh, when we spoke uh, prior to today about why isn't there a self-portrait of Vincent with a book in his hand, and uh, I thought that might oh. be a good place to sort of come full circle today. <laughs>
1: Oh, yes, this is a a nice uh, question also. Uh, uh, Yes, we we don't know why he He never um, painted himself uh, uh, as a a reader. Well, in Paris, from February 86, uh, when he arrived uh, to February 88, when he left for Arles, he painted something like 27 self-portraits in just two years, I mean, but never as a reader, Uh, never with a book in his hands or with with a book behind him uh, or a book in the background, nothing. But uh, yes, uh, and yet uh, he was really reflecting on on this theme in Paris too. I mean, when he arrived, he knew everything about modern French novel and uh, we can see his uh, enthusiasm for books in a beautiful canvas. The title is Roman Parisien. Uh, it's uh, the title that he would choose for the painting and we know that uh, from a later letter from Arne and what do you see? Uh, You see just piles of books laying across his table it's incredible, I mean he posts his books uh, as if they were his friends like a family photograph so uh, just in the foreground uh, there is an open book, just one and that's him I mean, it's an invitation for us to read, but in my view, it's a self-portrait. It's incredible.
0: Vincent's books, Van Gogh and the Writers Who Inspired Him by Mariella Guzzoni, is published by the University of Chicago Press and is available now in hardcover. For the reading this episode, our author Mariella Guzzoni will read from the letters of Vincent van Gogh, published by Penguin Classics. Here's Mariella Guzzoni.
1: Vincent's letter to his brother Theo, Borinage, June 1880. For example, to name one passion among others, I have a more or less irresistible passion for books, and I have a need continually to educate myself to study, if you like, precisely as I need to eat my bread. So instead of succumbing to homesickness, I said to myself, one's country or native land is everywhere. So instead of giving way to despair, I took the way of active melancholy. As long as I had strength for activity, or in other words, I prefer the melancholy that hopes and aspires and searches to the one that despairs, mournful and stagnant.
0: To support Big Table, go to BigTablePodcast.org slash bookshop. You can help us and independent bookstore culture at the same time. Big Table is produced and presented by Hat and Beard Press, Dub Lab and Gold Diggers in Los Angeles, and is supported by Invisible Republic, a nonprofit arts organization based in Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles. You can learn more about their community-based programs and publications at InvisibleRepublic.org. Big Table would not exist in the audio world without the expert skill sets, friendship, and dedication of sound designer and editor Matea Bain and audio engineer Jacob Ross special thanks to eric gorman at gold diggers and alejandro ali cohen at dub lab for early encouragement and engineering prowess thanks again for listening